Hey guys, this is Bruce, and welcome to Convo Courses Podcast. Every Saturday at 1 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, I do these live pretty much whatever. Like, I'll talk about whatever. Sometimes I'll choose a topic. Sometimes I'll actually just go straight out teach uh, different things. So this week, I have one one thing I'm going to start off with, but um, feel, feel free to ask whatever questions you want. Um, I'm a 20-year cybersecurity guy. I've been doing IT since... I mean, I've been doing security for my entire adult life, and I've been doing cybersecurity since 2020. And uh, if you have any questions you're trying to get in this field, now's the time to ask. If you have questions specifically about GRC stuff, risk management framework, that's my specialty. I've been doing this for a long, long time in private and public sector. That means in the government for different companies. Um, so I, I, I can give you practical experience. My own personal practical experience, you know, uh, results may vary. So... I'm going to start this thing off with a question I got from YouTube, a comment I got from one of my subscribers, and they said, hold on, let me see if I can switch my screen real quick. I asked a question. Uh, she's saying, uh, she's saying, uh, so my plan is to go to college for a cyber, for cyber, cybersecurity, I imagine, at co uh, community college for four years. Then, uh, okay, she said, my plan is to go to college for cyber at a community college, then to a four-year college, and then join the military and apply for a student loan forgiveness in the Air Force. Does that sound doable? Um, Yeah, I mean, that's doable. Uh, and some of there's other options you could take um, besides that, just to kind of enlighten you. Like, you can take any kind of path you want, but... Another thing you want to do, if, you, if you're actually trying to go into the military, then why not just go straight to the military? I mean, you could just try to go straight to the military and go into uh, and do IT directly in there. And then you the reason why I would suggest trying that is because if you go into the military, if that's your plan anyway, might as well just go in and get the experience and then be working on your um, degree in the military. The mil Air Force has community college of the Air Force. You could actually take community college while you're in the Air Force, get experience, get a certification, get a degree on your way out. So you have basically trifecta, you hit everything. You hit experience, the certification, and the degree while in the military. So that, that'd probably be a better choice for you. I mean, I don't know, I don't know what you want to do, but that's one choice you could do. Another one would be doing a vocational school. If you have considered doing that, going to a vocational school and um, like one of these like ITT tech, I don't even know if that still exists, but a vocational school to get a certification and then uh, getting trying to get a job from there. And then another thing you can do is once you get that, that um, lab experience, that hands-on lab experience in like in a vocational school and you have your certification is try to go overseas. They have all these jobs overseas that are all expenses paid to, you know, they pay for you to live somewhere on or off a of military installation or on and off um, government in, in, uh, facility. And then you'll be working there and they pay you a crazy amount of money. Uh, it, the sacrifices, you got to be away from your family for like a year or for or however long your contract lasts, but they pay you a bunch and then you get tax free, you get a bunch of experience. They'll oftentimes hire people with little or very little experience or no experience to, to do that because those jobs are pretty difficult and most Americans don't want to do them. So that's another option. So there's a couple more options for you to do. 
if you if you uh, are considering doing doing what she's doing. All right, I got a couple other questions here that I'll entertain. Hold on a second, let me see if I can give her a thumbs up real quick, real heart. Um, let me see. I just finished up my Coursera certification for cybersecurity. What would be the next step? So um, what you're doing right now, if you're just starting out, is gathering as much knowledge and uh, information as you can. What I would do is probably start working on some labs to get you get some get some lab experience. Like get what I mean by labs is there's a couple of things you can do. You can either hook up a lab at home. Depending on what you want to do, if you're trying to do networking, you can get yourself a uh, a couple of routers off of like Craigslist. People are constantly just kind of giving them away, you know, for cheap, like a hundred bucks or something for a router that was formerly, you know, five thousand dollar router for like a hundred bucks. And um, get those off of uh, eBay or off of of Craigslist or local some kind of local market, and then try to network those together. Another thing you do if you're doing networking. Because I, I don't know what part of cybersecurity you're trying to go into. I don't know what, what part of IT. It's a very large field. But we're talking about networking. So if you were trying to do networking, you can also do something called GNS3. That's a downloadable app that you can do and it like lets you set up these little virtual labs. If you were trying to do pen testing, you can do uh, – you can do – that's like ethical hacking. You could do uh, try hack me, hack the box. You can actually set it up, set up little labs on your computer. You could – like if you have a bunch of throwaway systems on your network, you could set up a network and like do little tech labs on your own personal network. You do that. Um, if you are trying to do like GRC type stuff, like, which is what I do, uh, there's a bunch of stuff you could do. Like you could do, um, you want to really learn the, the, uh, security frameworks. If that's what you're trying to do, you could do, uh, like read up on NIST 800 series, NIST 837, NIST 853, um, which is all the security controls. You could do PCI compliance, read up on PCI. DSS, you could do HIPAA stuff. That's for uh, um, hospitals and healthcare. You can do Sarbanes Oxley. Um, you can do ISO twenty seven thousand one. You could read. All you'd be doing is reading that kind of stuff. That way, you could put that on your resume and be like, "Yeah, I'm familiar with that. I'm, I know what it is, and I, I have a good idea how to implement it. I've never implemented it before, but I'm anxious to learn." That's what you would say in the in the interview. So there's a lot of different things you can do. It depends on where you're trying to go. With cybersecurity and you said yeah i just recently did hack the box but haven't started anything i started on anything yet another thing you probably want to do is start looking at the local market because if you're really really new to this one of the things you can do if you don't want to leave home you do not want to go overseas and make that crazy tax-free money one thing you could do is look for local jobs they're not going to pay a lot um they're going to be like a basic IT desk job, you know, or field tech one job, or you could leave the state. So what I did when I first did this, when I first got into this outside of the military was uh, I uh, got went to another state, took less money on a job that was having me travel all over the place. That was to get my foot in the door to get more experience under my belt. And because I, I was trying to be more technical, I was trying to do like Linux or Unix or something like that. I wasn't really trying to do cybersecurity stuff because for me, it was all like documentation type stuff. So I was really trying to get more hands on. So I had to start from the bottom to do that kind of stuff. But I was willing to move out of state. I was willing to take 
you know, I knew that you can make a lot of money, but I'm like, man, I need to get my feet wet. I need to get in the door. And I was willing to, I got, I had a mentor, like somebody actually walked me through stuff. So I had to swallow my pride and just listen to somebody who knew more than me. So those are all the things I'm willing to, I was willing to do. So you might have to take shorts in the beginning to get your foot in the door to get that, you know, and it wasn't like a cybersecurity job. Like it wasn't an ideal, you know, hacker, pen testing, assessor type job. It was like, I was a field tech one. I was a scrub. I was the lowest man on the point of totem pole. Uh, total pole and I, they brought me in and start teaching me and I learned all kinds of stuff from there. And then from there, I just start leveling up. I could do whatever the hell I wanted after that. And that was like a local, I, that was out of state. I had to go out of state to do that. Um, it, it's, you're going to have to make a sacrifice in the beginning. Like if you have no experience, you're going to have to make a jump to go, to go do that. Is incident response a good route to take? Um, hell yeah. Incident response is incredible. It's everywhere. Incident response, um, is, is super important and it, it pays really good. So incident response is normally reserved for organizations or fortune 500 fortune 1000. Like they really need, they know that data breaches are happening. So they need somebody who, who can, who's good under pressure because those jobs a lot of times have stress involved with them. And so they need somebody who knows what they're doing. They have the technical skills to, to know what they're doing. If they're a manager type person, they need to be able to take take on greater responsibilities and be chill under pressure. Incident responses is a huge, it's a huge field. And it's in every part of every sector of every industry. So if from healthcare sector, it's in the, the Department of Defense and federal government, um, any country in the world who's worth their salt has to have an IT team and that team has to have incident response. It's in the financial sector, it's in the retail sector. It's in manufacturing. It's in every single sector. It is incident response is gigantic. It's it's probably a field in and of itself within cybersecurity. It's its own thing. Um, so much so I've been thinking about even writing a book on it, just like just for that. So let me see. Nice mic, bro. Thank you. Um, military people. Let me see. Why are you talking? Nobody here. Oh, man, <laughs> I got a bunch of people on on TikTok. Man, I don't know what's going on with YouTube, but YouTube not talking to me. I don't know what's going on, but, but man, TikTok's pretty lit. Like I got people on TikTok talking to me. So that's why I'm um, that's why I'm um, I'm talking over here. You know, what I mean, like people are asking me a bunch of questions. I can barely keep up with them. Um, How do I become Andrew Tate? Um, I'm I'm talking about cybersecurity, my man. Okay, let me see. I got some more questions. Uh, have you heard about MIT University? <laughs> I'm taking a cyber uh, a, a cybersecurity certificate here. Yeah, MIT is is one of the best um, engineering colleges in the world. I'm in a major incident management. I mean, your major is incident management. Okay. You get exposed to a lot of tech infrastructure. Yeah, yeah. Because it's huge, you know. Um, you you got to deal with incident response. You got to deal with things like de um, denial of service attacks happening, data breaches, uh, uh, data loss prevention, 
physical security, physical security incidents, like it tied, there's so many things that tie into it. You know, I mean, from having uh, systems and solutions that can actually, that can actually um, manage the whole infrastructure as far as incident response, ticketing systems, um, man, troubleshooting throughout the organization. I mean, something that haven't done this for a long time. It's it's in every single organization I've been been in without fail. And I can honestly say there's some some things like what I do is not always there, but incident response, you have to have it. Because what happens is very quickly as you get bigger as an organization, you will get attacked. You will get hit. It's just a matter of time. And if you're not prepared for it, the impact is going to be great. So that's kind of what happens. Um, let me see here. Let me see here. Okay. Anyway, let me keep, keep asking, answer questions here on, I'm talking over here on TikTok. I know <laughs> I got a lot of knuckleheads for some reason, all of a sudden on YouTube. I don't know what's going on with that. That's weird. Um, I'm. Training. Okay, let me see. Got a bunch of stuff going on. Thoughts on WGU cybersecurity? It's good. Haven't heard anything bad about it. Know know some people who have contacted me that that are using it and making making good money right now from WGU. I mean, if you like money, then WGU is is one of many places you can go. Let me see. I'm a student at, okay, taking their cybersecurity course. We're studying about the CYSA plus. Okay, CYSA plus, that's good. So CYSA plus is for SOC analysts type stuff. Like that's in, a little bit of incident response there too. I'm training to be a threat analyst. Any tips? I'm not formally trained by my company, uh, but my company wants me to be. Okay. Uh, threat threat analysis. Um, so I've done a little bit of, of cyber threat intelligence. And so I would, what you could do is look into cyber threat intelligence. That's probably where you want to start looking into and looking at some of the tools you can use. There's a bunch of open source tools you can use for cyber threat intelligence. So cyber threat intelligence, let me just kind of give you a bird's eye view of what that is. So cyber threat intelligence is where an organization has to determine where threats are coming from. Like your bank, for example. Your bank, having, having uh, worked with a couple banks, <laughs> absolutely terrifying, by the way, absolutely terrifying. So your bank has a cyber threat intelligence team, hopefully. If they don't, then oh my Lord. Because what happens is these hackers, what they're doing is they'll make a, a link. If you think this is a joke, I mean, I <laughs> you, you might want to just leave right now. I'm about to terrify the, the hell out of you. I'm about to terrify the hell. I've seen some shit. And I'm about to tell you some stuff right here. So um, your bank, whenever you go to your website to do some online banking, a lot of times there's other sites that try to mimic your bank and they're very, they get very, some of them are very sophisticated. The bigger your bank is, the more sophisticated these hackers 
uh, and organizations are. Sometimes there are other or there's sometimes there are other company countries that are doing this kind of shit. It's crazy, man. So what they'll do is they'll set up a fake website that looks just like your bank and the URL look just like your bank. And then you'll click on they're hoping that people like yourself are going to click on it and uh, and put their information in to log in. So if you log in with your username and password, guess what? They've collected your username and password at they know at yourbank.com. And then now they have your username and password. So now, so it's very important that you do multi-factor authentication because it's much, it's harder to hack. It's not impossible, but it's much, much harder. They rather go after the small banks that are not using multi-factor authentication that are making the mistake. And if your bank doesn't have multi-factor authentication, you might want to go to another another bank. And I'm being I'm being completely honest with you. Multi-factor authentication is you know when they send that code, they say, okay, I'm gonna send a code to your to your phone. If they don't have that capability, then I first of all, if they offer you that, always take multi-factor authentication. If they say, hey, do you want to set up, you know, where I send you a code to your phone or wherever, or if you have that authenticator that goes to Google Authenticator or, or where whatever you're using for your authenticator, always, always, always do that because it's too easy to hack. Anyway, so cyber threat intelligence that we're talking about. So one one of the attacks that they'll use, hackers, organization, other countries is that they'll set up a fake bank account, <laughs> a fake site. They'll get to gather as many uh, username and passwords as possible. Then what they do is when they have a big-ass database, they'll sell it on the dark web to other hackers. So what you can do as a cyber threat intelligence person, and there's open source ways you can do this, is find out where those uh, marketplaces are, and then you warn your organization and go back and say, hey, um, we need to change these these username and passwords. We need to reach out to all of our users and have them change their username and password because the they're, they've been compromised. Their credentials have been compromised. That's only one of the many things that they do. But as a cyber threat intelligence person, you would use all these different tools to figure out where those marketplaces are. And if there's what's called typo squatting, that's what I was talking about with the fake site and all that kind of stuff. You can find those kinds of things. And so... I would encourage you to go look for those tools. And if you're looking, just look for, go to Google or Bing or wherever and type in, or you can go to uh, ChatGPT and type in, show me the top cyber threat and intelligence tools. And it'll have a bunch of forums, a bunch of uh, marketplaces, a bunch of um, uh, tools that you can use uh, that are online, that are paid for or paid. And then have your, if you have, if you're at your company, have them pay for it and grab some of those things. So that you can start learning those tools and some of the techniques that go with cyber threat intelligence. So really fun. It's really fun. The stuff really fun. It goes really deep. It's ter absolutely terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Um, let me see. Bruce Slade here. I got a question. I'm in cybersecurity compliance. I'm a cybersecurity compliance officer. Do you uh, do part of continuous? Oh, you do part of partly continuous monitoring. I have to, I have my security plus and just passed my CASP last month. I'm still trying to figure out how to utilize my search and experience. Should I go to a CISA or AWS route? Um, added to my current experience and certs. 
So sounds like you're going the compliance route. So of those two, probably CISA would be best. Um, probably CISA would enhance, would build on the experience you already have. And with CISA, uh, you'd be going in the direction of an auditor type person. And auditors make, make six, easy six figures um, anywhere on planet Earth. So that's a really good one to do. AWS is more cloud type stuff. So you'd be coming in as like a junior cloud. I mean, I'd say cloud's not a bad one to do because it's going to give you that, like you'd be able to say on your resume, hey, yeah, I know cloud stuff. You know, I've, I've got this cloud certification, but CISA is no joke. That's a professional level cert, but but which by itself is worth six figures. Um, and and auditing is is a great is a is a great career field. Like I get offers for being an auditor or an assessor, six figures and above. And working from anywhere, working from home, like I've been doing for the last eight, seven, eight years, I can literally be working in another country and, and conducting assessments um, remote, remotely. And sometimes what they'll do is they'll have me go to the site or whatever, which is hard to do from another country. You know what I mean? So anyway, but audit, the CISA is, is a really good one to do is what I would do because it will build off your experience. Whenever I tell people like get this cert or get that cert or go this way or get go that way, normally what I'm trying to tell them to do is build on the on the on the skill set and experience that they already have because that's where the money is. You you know, the deeper you go into your skill set, into your profession, into your um specialty, the more money you're going to make. If you try to go off on all these different paths, like a lot of people just get distracted, myself included. So for a while, I went on it. I just got bored with the risk management framework. I just got so bored with it. And I wanted to do some more technical stuff. So I went off on this journey where I went to do cybersecurity analysts. And I don't regret it. But what it did do is it kind of set me back because my my the real money for me is in uh, risk management. Because that's where I have 20 years of experience doing that. So when I did cybersecurity analyst work, I was basically like a junior level cybersecurity analyst. I mean, I was still making pretty good money, but my real skill was elsewhere. So whenever I tell people, hey, you know, you should get a PMP or, hey, you know, you should probably focus on project management because they tell me, hey, I'm doing management right now, but I want to be a hacker. And I'm like, nah, don't do that. <laughs> do, do this, do PMP or do And I'm telling you, CISA is probably the way to go for you because that's where your experience level already is. So, yeah, no, no problem, man. Not a problem at all. Um, do you need to be, to be technical with CISA? I don't think I don't have a CISA. I have a CISSP. I have a Security Plus. Um, I do not have a CISA, but uh, I've got some. My managers have been CISAs. Some of my coworkers have been CISAs. I and I've taken a look at some of the, um, some of the course material, and stuff that they cover. And I think it's more of a high level stuff, kind of like kind of like CISSP is, where it's more of like a management type knowledge based, comprehensive knowledge based type stuff where it's not technical. It's not hands on. You know, they might have a little bit of technical stuff in there, but it's not like the technical certs are usually vendor level certs. Those are technical as hell. <laughs> you know what I mean? Those are those are the technical ones. OK, let me see here. Are you working with any new technology? I've been working a lot with um, with artificial intelligence. I've been working a lot with ChatGPT and Bing Chat and 
messing around with that stuff. Um, Splunk at this new job that I'm at, they do Splunk a lot. That's my first like real exposure to Splunk. And they've got this tool called Jira and they got a couple other tools I've been using. That's probably about it for me. Um, I'm not doing anything um, too crazy. Uh, would you, would IT be a good start starter to break into pen testing or in my case, look for internship? Would IT support be a good starter to break into pen testing or in my case, internships? Um, so a lot of, a lot of times uh, when people are talking to me about getting into cybersecurity, they're, they're always thinking pen testing, <laughs> which is, is crazy. They always want to be a hacker or something. And, and in reality, it takes a good amount of skills, talent, and experience to be a pen tester. That's like, it's no joke. And a lot of times you got to be, a, you got to know some hacking. Like it takes some talent to do that kind of stuff. I'm not saying you can't do it. But the first step is you got to learn the basics of IT first. And that's kind of like people don't talk about that. Like the first steps of IT is what you really need to know. There's a dark night of the soul that you're going to have to go through um, before you get to something like pen testing. And that that dark night is learning basic IT stuff. How do computers work? How does RAM work? How does storage work? How does like that kind of stuff? You know what I mean? So that's the kind of stuff that you got in entry level stuff you need to learn in order to even get close to that. So if you if you have the opportunity to do an internship, then that's great. Like you happen to be a student or somebody's offering it to you. Yeah, go ahead and do an internship. That's great. That, that's to get your foot in the door for basic IT stuff. And, and at some point, do like help desk, field tech management, customer support technician type stuff um, where you're doing hands on for a, for a bit. And then you're going to start to do specialized things like pen testing and auditing and risk management framework and uh, databases and all the kind of that kind of thing where you're going into deeper, deeper stuff. I'm not telling you that you can't go straight into pen testing because I know some people I know of some people who've done that kind of thing, but they are normally extremely talented, extremely brilliant, extremely talented or obsessed to where they're willing to sacrifice anything to get where they want to get. Either one of those will do. <laughs> any, any one of those will do. Like extreme talent, um, a genius, or you're just obsessively, you're going to do whatever it takes to get where you want to be. Either one of those will do. And then you can get where you, but I'm telling you like the, the path of least resistance is to just do help desk, do field tech work. And then while you're doing that, there's like a honeymoon phase where you're trying to figure out like, is this what I want to do? Because to be honest, like not everybody should be doing IT. This is not for every, this, this path is not for everyone. This is not for, you see the money, you see the stability, you see like it looks glamorous or whatever, you know, cause the, cause people are, you know, doing these TikToks where they're all over the world, myself included. Like I'll, I'll be in another country talking about, oh, look at me. I'm, I'm in Philippines. I'm, in the on a beach and it's because i'm in it what you don't know is that i work my ass off to get to this point <laughs> when you see those those people doing that they work their ass off to get to that point they worked their ass off to get to that point so you gotta start from the bottom you know what i mean <laughs> all right um just finished high school how do we go about getting into cybersecurity? gonna start off with, so this is a continuation of what we we're just talking about. You got to start from the bottom. 
And um, that means that means you got to start with basic IT stuff, learn basic IT stuff. All of cybersecurity is based on information technology. You got to you got to start from there. So high school from high school, there's a couple things. Depends on what you want to do. You can go into the military and just go straight into computers that will allow you to not an easy one. I, I wouldn't recommend. I don't tell my kids to go in the military. <laughs> Let's not tell them. I went to two war zones. It's no joke. But yeah, that said, it's one of the best ways to learn firsthand experience to do what you want to do. Um, if you don't, if military is not for you, which is not for everybody, that's for sure. Um, go to community college. It's, it's cheap. Like it's not cheap in that the tuition costs are pretty low and you can get an associate's degree from an accredited college. And then if you want to, you can then take that 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 a that associate's degree and go to a four year college and get a bachelor's if you want bachelor's degree. Um, but an associate's degree is good enough to to get a pretty good job. Another thing you can do is just learn the skills on your own. Some people have the the mental fortitude and the self-discipline to go ahead and learn it on their own and uh, and get those skills, build them up, and learn a pro learn the program, learn uh, databases, learn relational databases, all that kind of stuff, and then just boom, go straight into uh, getting a local position, doing help desk stuff, or go overseas and work, make that crazy money. Like you have you as a high school student, believe it or not, we, we really are looking for people to get in this field. And unfortunately, a, a lot of young people, you got a lot of old people like myself um, talking about this stuff. And there's a reason because young people do not want to do this stuff. Not Americans anyway. You know, that's it's we're looking for people all the time. But a lot a lot of younger people, Gen Z, don't want to do this kind of work. Now, I don't know what's going on, but. They're not trying to be engineers in the U.S. They're trying to play Fortnite shit. Do you play? Somebody said Fortnite is a career. Do you play Fortnite? Yeah. So <laughs> they're not trying to do IT. You know, they're trying to play games on IT. Um, let me see. Got some other questions here. Um, I applied for a cybersecurity analyst in the U.S. at the U.S. Army with no degree and experience required. Did you get the job? What is your suggestion? I apply for cybersecurity analyst. Cybersecurity with no degree. I mean, it's worth a try, right? The worst they could say is no. Um, and I would say, Omar, if you're still watching me, um, what I would do is don't apply for just one. Apply for many. Um, it's it's a numbers game. It's a numbers game. Apply for as many as possible. Just keep applying, 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 and don't stop. Somebody out there is going to say yes, especially if you have the skills. What component software should I focus on practical exercise in my home lab? What components software should I focus on for practical making a lab? Okay, it really depends on what you're trying to do. So there's different labs you can make. Um, what I would do if I were, which I what I've done is so that it's more cost effective is use something called vmware you don't even need vmware vmware is like 250 bucks or something you could use something called virtual box you can set up like virtual you can get a bunch of free operating systems off the internet i'm um, not going to be easy you got to avoid root kits and viruses and shit like that but that's a great learning experience for you <laughs> they're out there so you can get a bunch of free operating systems off the internet 
some of which like Ubuntu and uh, you can probably get Red Hat Synth OS. Those are free for download. You can get something like Kali Linux for free. Windows, uh, different variations of Windows. You can get those for free off the Internet, some of the older versions of them. Those are hard, a little bit harder to get, but you can get them, download them, and then you use something like VirtualBox. I hope you're writing this down. And you you can get yourself a robust computer. Get, get your, invest yourself in if, like a whole old computer or something like that. I have one back here I can show you. So get an old computer, something nobody's using, or if you can just use yours, something with a lot of RAM. So your biggest investment is going to be RAM. Because virtual virtual uh, computers use a lot of RAM. So use either VirtualBox, VMware, and there's a couple other ones. There's with different price uh, price um, price levels, including free. And then upload those into like a, a network, a virtual network. And so this is going to train you on a few things. It's going to train you on networking, virtualization, which is super hot. Um, which is also going to train you a little bit on cloud stuff. Um, and, uh, and basic help desk stuff as well. Like you're going to learn a lot by doing something like this. And that, that's kind of what I did. But another thing you can do if you're purely into networking, like if you just want to learn routing protocols and switching and all that kind of stuff, GNS3, GNS3, um, Golf November. Sierra three, um, Google it. That's it's like a virtualized networking environment. I don't know if it's free anymore. So those are some of the things you can do. If you're, there's just so many different things you can do, but the virtual one has in my mind is the best one you can do without high, buying a bunch of, it's the most cost effective thing you can do without buying a bunch of um, hardware that takes up space. All right, let me see if I got more questions here. Is Vagrant free? Is Vagrant free OS? I don't I don't know. I've never heard of Vagrant. I've never heard of that. Is that what is that? Enlighten me on that one, Samuel. I'm not sure what that is. All right, let me see here. I got some more questions and comments and stuff on TikTok. Okay, somebody just, okay. Michael says, hey, Bruce, let me ask you this again. What question do you ask to future employers on an interview are red flags? Um, you don't want uh, want to work for, you don't want to work for them. Um, um, so, Michael, that, that is a great question. Um, and I've had many, many interviews. Um, not one of these people who just stated one organization that's you know pros and cons about that you stay at one place you can get yourself a bunch of 401k money or retirement plan i got none of that man because i've been jumping around too much that said i have a lot of experience with um with interviews so red flags what do i ask them so let me set this up for you so whenever i do an interview I'm interviewing the organization as much as they're interviewing me, first of all. Like, I want to know what this is. This a legit organization. I'm not saying legit as in are they a scam? I mean, obviously, by the time I talk to them, it's real. Right. I just want to know, is it are they taking care of their people um, enough for me to stay around for my own plans? Like, do are they going to give me are they going to reciprocate what I'm about to put in? 
Because if I go to this organization, I'm going to work my ass off for them. But I want to know that they're going to take care of me, too, to a certain extent. So um, I need to know this. And for me personally, one of the things that I normally ask when they say, hey, you know, what do you have any questions for us? I'll normally try to figure out how many hours I'm going to be working. Like how how stressful is this job going to be? I know it's going to have some level of stress, but I want to know how many hours are we working extra hours? What are we doing that is there anything that's going to take me away from my kids, you know, for a long period of time? That's really in my mind that it's a canceled Christmas moment. Like there's certain things I'm just not I'm not going to sign up for the organization if they're going to, if that's the case. So one of the things I asked them with a very straight face is, is if they have shift work. Now I've done shift work before and I, and I, and I hate it. So I'm not there. It's, I don't know what it would take for me to go back to shift work, but uh, (laughs) I guarantee you they're not going to pay me that amount. So I asked them, you know, hey, I just want to know what kind of shifts do you guys work? Do you guys do shift work? Shift work means like 12 hour shifts. That's like where I'm going to work all days and then somebody's going to I have to stay there until somebody else comes in and they're going to work mids, swing the mids. And they're and then when they're off shift, some they stay there until somebody comes in where I hate shift work. So if they say they're shift work, I'm, I'm not we're not going to work together. Another one that's a red flag for me. Is if they. If there's a lot of travel and when I say a lot, I've traveled a lot, a lot. And so if they say it's over for me at this point in my life. Now, there was a time when I was willing to work. I was willing to do almost 100 percent travel. And I did that. I did. I did one job where I was doing about 70 percent travel. And if you do so, any kind of travel that they say, whatever the percentage it is, you got to add like an additional 10 percent on it, 10 to 20 percent because the travel days and the unwinding from all that traveling it really takes a toll on you so you need to always add about an extra 15 10 15 percent so if the travel right now in my life right now is no travel i don't want to travel at all but the most i'll take is probably right now about 20 percent but if, if your tolerance is high, higher than that, good for you. But for me, it's around 20% because I will always calculate if it's, if they're telling me t- 10, it, that means it's 20. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's a red flag for me. Another one is another question I'll, I'll usually ask is, especially in, in cybersecurity, I'll ask them, do you guys have any like difficult customers? And I, this is this, the answer I always get is they always smile because they always have one. Um, I asked them, hey, do you guys have, they'll say, do you have any questions for us? I'll say, yeah, do you guys have any like difficult customers or difficult, um, difficult clients or difficult uh, people that we need to work with? And they always, when it's, when the answer is yes, they always smile and they didn't, if it's really bad, they won't say anything. And then when I ask them that question, then they smile. If it's like, yeah, we have a difficult customer, but it's, it's no big deal. They'll usually ask me that in the meeting myself. They'll usually ask me, hey, you know, how are you good with dealing with difficult customers? How would you do deal with difficult customers? They always ask this, I noticed, with IT because 
with cybersecurity because cybersecurity guys always have to deal with difficult customers. I get a lot of people on TikTok asking me, hey, you know, I want to get into cybersecurity. Like, I can't, like, I'm trying to, you know, they don't understand. Like, it's, this is not easy. This is not, this is not easy, guys. Like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to tell you, I'm trying to warn you, this is not for everybody. It's not for everybody. Okay. Like, you see people traveling the world or they got a dope ass truck or something to get that money or whatever. But this, I'm telling you, is stressful. It's not even the technical side. People are like, oh, man, how do I learn how to program or code or pen test? That's not the hard part for cybersecurity. That's not the hard part. The hard part is the stress. It's stressful. It's very, it can be very stressful. You got, you're dealing with data breaches, people like organizations who lost data. Think about how stressful that is. They, they lost data and it's about to go public. It's very, very stressful. Or... They have they have two thousand systems and 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 fourteen hundred of them are vulnerable because Microsoft released some they, some vulnerability and they're on Microsoft systems and now you got the organization saying we got to fix these in five in two in one week or whatever. It's it is a stressful job that not everybody's cut out for this, and that's why I noticed. I noticed a lot of a lot of black folks are doing this because I think that I this is my just my theory. And I could be wrong, but I think it's because we handle stress. We're used to handling a lot of stress, like a lot of real stress, like like life or death stress. I notice I notice a lot of us are doing this. And I think it's because we handle stress like we we're this. We're not a stranger to this kind of stress. I mean, I just just my theory, but it's a lot of us. It's it's a it's it's a a disproportionate amount of black people doing doing cybersecurity and i think my theory is that because if you not even just black like people who have a hard harsh who grew up in a harsh environment a lot of us can take a, a higher we have a higher threshold of stress if you come from a lower uh social economic background if you come from a disenfranchised group of people if you came from hardships whatever wherever whatever your race is i've noticed like we can handle a larger threshold of stress so it doesn't bother us as, as much especially like people another one that comes into this field a lot is um is is um foreign nationals like not foreign nationals um immigrants like people who just got here immigrants like a lot of uh caribbeans a lot of um uh in people from uh, indians a lot of uh oh what else um a lot a lot of people who who just got here because we can handle it like if you come from a, a stressed social economic background like you're not you this is fake stress for us a lot of times it's like People get in these meetings. They're like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? And you're like, dude, I almost died a couple of times. Like, this is nothing to me. You know what I mean? This is nothing to me. So, yeah, I just I just noticed, like, the real harsh part about cybersecurity is is that uh, is the stress. The stress, it does get to you sometimes. So let me see. Yes, finally, you answered my question. <laughs> Uh, as an ISO and sometimes only um, three to four hours of sleep. Yeah, if you're if you're really hardcore, um, sometimes I'll work extra hours myself. You know, I work extra hours to get stuff done, which I don't recommend anybody do. Vietnamese, yeah, a lot of Vietnamese, a lot of people who, 
a lot of people, immigrants who just, especially first and second generation immigrants from all over the world, I noticed we they'll they'll get in this, they'll do this kind of stuff. A lot of uh, of black and white people who have been through, they're on the lower econ socioeconomic scale in the U.S. and then they get into cybersecurity. They're like, yo, you gonna pay me? You gotta pay me uh, six figures to do this, and this all I gotta do is take. Yeah. Uh, let me see. Let me see. I got some other stuff, some other questions. I'm not ignoring you guys. I just got a lot of questions on TikTok. And I'm on TikTok. I'm on Facebook. I'm on YouTube. And people are just asking me questions. So I'm just trying to answer all these questions. Somebody said, how much money do you make? I'll answer this question. You're asking a lot of strange questions, Big Baller. <laughs> a lot of strange. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ignore all your other questions, but I'll answer this one. So at the current job, I'm at right now. I'm a cybersecurity guy. I'm an information system security person. I make about 130 salary. So um, one of the great things about cybersecurity and information technology is it, it's afforded me, afforded me the ability to make other streams of income, which I encourage everyone to do. Don't trust any company or government to, to take care of you or your family. Always have a another form of income. And that's what I do. So this, this right here that you see, this is me selling books. Link in description, link in bio. I sell courses, all that kind of stuff. You want to have other streams of income. I also do real estate. So have other sources of income to take care of yourself because, you know, nobody has our back, man. I'm not trying to be a downer or anything, but I'm just trying to tell you, I'm just trying to keep it real with you. You know, nobody, nobody has your back. You got to take care of yourself. No company, no go. You can't rely on any company or any government. You got to take care of yourself. And so always have multiple streams of income and, and get them any way you can. And also don't have just one kind of income, have passive income streams, active, pa active income streams, active and passive, and just have them coming in. That way you're good. And I notice a lot of cybersecurity people, that's what they do um, is have multiple streams of, of, of income any way they can do it. Um, let me see. Let me answer some more questions here. As an IT compliance analyst, what is a good example of a time something didn't go as planned at work? So uh, usually nothing goes as planned. <laughs> usually nothing goes as planned. I love that there's this thing I learned uh, from the Army these army dudes when I was in the military and they had something called, they were teaching us air-based ground defense, a lost art of war, <laughs> air-based ground defense. And they had something called fire for effect. And basically what it was, was fire for effect is what uh, mortar, the people, you know, those tubes. And then it, it shoots out a, a, like a bomb. It You put, you have a tube on the ground and you set it like at an angle and you put the bomb in and the bomb shoots out and it blows up. Fire for effect means what you're doing is you're angling it in a certain direction. You're saying, okay, I'm trying to hit this area over here. And fire, you're looking at the effect to see where the bomb hit or the rounds or ammunition or whatever hit. And then when you see that explosion, you're like, okay, it's there. Now I gotta go a little bit over here. That is what compliance is like. It's fire for effect. That's what you're doing. You're saying, okay, 
here's our plan. Here's where we're trying to go. Here's what we're, we want to do. Here's our plan, our plan of action, where we're going to try to go. And then you fire for effect. You're like, let's go for it. We, we go in this direction. Like, okay, this was a little off. Let's go a little bit in this direction. Let's go. Let's let's adjust it to where we're going to go a little bit over here. And that's all we're doing. Like all we're doing is we're estimating what's going to happen. There's really too many moving parts to do, to predict how things are going to go. And if it if it happens to hit the mark, you know, once out of 10 times, you just really got lucky. That's the way I see it. We're just firing for effect. We're 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 taking our shots. We're seeing where the shots landed, and then we're saying, okay, let's adjust it a little bit over here a little bit so we could. And if people who freak out, they want it to be perfect every time, and it's just never – we're in risk management. That means we're managing risk. That means that there's risk involved. We will get in an accident. It will happen. We're just trying to minimize the risk to us. We're just trying to min minimize the impact to, to the organization. That's what we're doing. That's how I see it. You know, at the that's that's all. You, and if you if you think about it, it's just like life. Like that's all. Nobody has the answers. Nobody knows why the hell we're here. Nobody knows what the hell's going on. People pretend that they know. You know, or people. There's nothing wrong with having faith or whatever in science or re, whatever religion you're in. Or there's nothing wrong with that. That's great. Good. That's awesome that you are firing. That you have. You think this this way. But in reality, all of us have a tiny little piece of what is really happening. All of us have a, like a little tiny piece and we're seeing one part of the reality of what's happening. And the best we can do is say, OK, let's figure out like where maybe we could go this way. OK, no, this is a little off. Let's go this way. And I think that life itself is like that. All we're doing is managing risk at the end. of And we don't nobody knows the answers. You know, that's why it's really important to listen to one another, because all of us have a little bits and pieces of what's really going on. And that's that's how IT compliance is. We all just have a little bit bits and pieces and we're trying to figure things out. But in, at the end of the day, we need each other to figure out what what's what's real, what's what. And, and we got to try to separate the noise. And that's the hardest part is trying to separate all the noise um, from the truth. There's so much bullshit and nonsense and fake news and waste stuff that just waste your time that's the the worst thing is stuff that waste your time from from the task that you're trying to do in your life or in in the organization or whatever the worst thing is the waste of time you you can afford to waste some time but what happens is we just keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and by the time you look it's like damn it's the end of the day i didn't do anything i was supposed to do you know what i mean <laughs> in an organization you have that on a on a macro scale where people are going off on all of these different tangents. And as a cybersecurity person, what I'm doing is saying, okay, what is most important here? What do we need to do? Okay, we got some critical findings. Let's focus on these things right here. Let's try to get rid of these things. Let's focus our energy on these. And then, you know, the IT team's doing this and they're doing that and they're getting distracted and they're doom scrolling and watching a bunch of videos about shit that doesn't matter. You know, we need to focus on what we need to do. You know what I mean? <laughs> so. That the that's the hard part is like focusing your life and your the organization on what what needs to happen for that day. If that I hope that makes sense. Um, do you think it's because you also can deal with the timeline uh, crunch time during vulnerability response? I wonder what this was from. 
had a job interview at Goodwill for computer technician. It went well. Hopefully they bring me they bring me in. Oh man, congrats. That's awesome, man. Good for you, Tyler. Let me know, Tyler, man. Let's send me a message or something if you get that job, man. I'm very interested in knowing, knowing how that goes. What's your background? Let me see. I'm, I'm looking through questions if you guys are kind of wondering why, why I'm just quiet right here. I I work for Oracle right now. Oracle's is like one of the top org, IT organizations in the world. Oracle's no joke. Larry Ellison, like the richest, one of the richest human beings on earth. I think he owns part of Hawaii or something. Some ridiculous nonsense like that. Um, as somebody who works for Oracle, what do you think about Larry Ellison? Don't worry, he's not going to see this. He'll he'll never see this. And if he does, he won't care. <laughs> what do you think about him? What do you think about your boss's 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 boss? You said, I'm a cloud security engineer at Oracle, 26-year-old African-American engineer. Okay, then I have to know. What do you think about Larry Ellison? What does is, what is the average Oracle worker think about Larry Larry L. I think that's his name, Larry Ellison, right? Female African. Man, that's awesome. There's not many of us. Not many. Uh, the ones who are a person of color aren't fond. <laughs> oh, you hear that, Larry? They don't like you, man. But the others are fine with it. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> he's he's uh he's singing that he's singing from the same sheet of music, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, no offense to people who who uh are on Larry Ellison's team. You know what I mean? I mean y'all y'all running the show, so you guys can do whatever the hell you want and rewrite history to match it. So do it, do you, Larry Ellison. Own your billion dollar yachts. Own own Hawaii. It's your world. I just live in it. I'm thinking about working overseas though for a government contractor. So exciting. So excited about that. Yeah, um, there's a lot of opportunities overseas. I got offered, man, was it last year? There was a job for Montenegro. I didn't even know where that was. I had to look it up. But uh, there was a job for Montenegro. Uh, not too, not too long ago. Well, it was like last year. It was it was quite a while ago. So, but if you go looking for those jobs, they're all over the place, and they're always looking for um, people with your skill set. So, and it's tax free up to a hundred, uh, up to a hundred thousand dollars tax free. Um, just go somewhere you want to go. You know, I would recommend like places like Dubai, UAE. Um, that's probably the only Middle Eastern countries I would recommend. Don't go to Kuwait. I was there. Not not fun. Um, anywhere in Europe, they got a couple NATO jobs you can do there. Um, there's, oh yeah, there was a South American one. Nick, there was one, I think in Nicaragua, Nicaragua, there was one in, uh, oh man, Venezuela, I think there was, I don't know. There's a couple really good ones. Germany. Oh yeah. Germany is, is fire. Like Germany is 
dope. I was in Stuttgart um, working there, and it was it's awesome, man. Like I think that's one of the richer areas in in Germany. The great the great thing about Germany is that you there's this accessibility to all the other parts of Europe, and Europe is like it's it's not what you think. It's really it, there's so much culture there. There's so much like history. There's so much. It's an awesome place. Belgium for contracting as well. Yeah, Belgium. I've seen jobs there uh, for doing what we do, um, IT work. So this one of the great things about the U.S. is that the companies are everywhere. Government countries are everywhere. Contractors everywhere. So if you have the skill set, you know, those those skill sets translate to almost anywhere on planet Earth. So. So congrats on that. You'll get that real fast. If you start applying for those jobs and and that's that tax-free money like it's it's nothing for people to go over there and make you know two hundred thousand dollars and then a hundred thousand of it be tax-free and um hell you can put the, all that money down on a home or something buy properties like a lot what a lot of people would do is they would go over there work tax-free making you know two hundred thousand or whatever it is and then they would take that money and then start investing in their own business or buy a bunch of real estate and all that kind of stuff to build up their portfolio back home or even buy stuff in other countries. Like I knew a dude who he's still there. He's still in Kuwait. <laughs> he's still, he's probably watching me right now. This dude's still in Kuwait now running the whole show and was buying up property in like Thailand. I believe he was buying up condos in Thailand and Portugal, which is I think where his family's from, but he's an American dude. Portugal and uh, and and somewhere in the U.S. is buying a property. I I was told you can't buy property. I can't you can't buy overseas with uh, clearance. Nah, nah, that's not true. So you can buy property overseas. It's just like there's certain countries you can't like. You can't buy Philippines, for example. You can't a foreigner can't own property there. You can own businesses. You can own condos, but you can't own property. Um, but there's some countries that do allow you to, to own property. And, um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, which country, Costa Rica, you can own property. You can, and, and it has nothing to do with your clearance. Like you can own property in other countries. They just, they'll ask you about it. They'll ask you if you have businesses or whatever in other countries, but they, that doesn't mean you can't own it. So that's nothing to do with your clearance. I have an SCI and I own property overseas. It depends on what and where having business interest uh, is hard. Yeah. So they just want to know. Yeah, you're. he's right. So they'll want to know like what you're doing, but and that you're not hiding anything. They want to know that you don't have interest in in um, like, let's say, for example, they have sanctions against some country. Right. Which I won't name. So they have a sanction. And if you have a business with that sanctioned country that's probably a problem your stuff like they're just wanting to know that you're not compromised financially that would make it so that you would have an interest in this country that's an enemy of the united states so it's, it's stuff like that and that's a stretch not everybody has that kind of stuff i'm in the process of for my sci now for an overseas contract position oh okay so you're in yeah don't 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 freak out about it you know it's just they got. They're gonna ask you all the questions. Just be honest with them about it. The the stuff that they're that are, that gets people caught up, I think, is if you have, even if you have a lot of debt, though, 
like I was going to say, like the thing that gets you caught up is debt, but not really. I mean, even if you have a lot of debt, basically, you just need to let them know like what's going on. Like if you have a lot of bad debt or something like that, but, you know, I, I can't even think of. The, there was a couple people who who weren't able to get for whatever reason not able to get a clearance and normally it was because they had real deep ties something either in their family or somebody they knew because that's how deep they go they go back into your past they go into like not your past but the past of people you know like if you know some people who who were involved in some kind of terrorist activity that's probably not going to go well for you if you have any kind of of ties to I'm not talking you said two thousand dollars debt paid off. No, 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 I'm not talking about two thousand dollars debt. I'm not I'm talking about hundreds of thousands or maybe millions of dollars in debt, right? That that's the kind of debt we're talking about. Two thousand is not debt. That's that's not debt. That's that's child's play. <laughs> that is child's play. They don't care about that. Um in your position, are you susceptible to financial disclosure too? Yeah, so that kind of stuff. They want to know that if you if you are susceptible to being bribed or being like if if you had three, four hundred thousand dollars in debt and you were you're not doing well and it's, it's real bad debt and you like you're afraid for your family and stuff like that. Somebody's coming after you and uh they're afraid like the Chinese government or CCP or whatever will come and say, Hey, we got a million dollars, we'll just give you a million dollars. You just give us what we want. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the kind of stuff they're looking for, that they you can be compromised uh, financially with your secrets. You know all this stuff. Let's say, you know, you know, secrets to uh, how they reverse engineered um, an alien vehicle or something. Right. That's very valuable to the to CCP, Chinese government. And so <laughs> you have three hundred thousand dollars in debt. And Chinese government is like, look, I, we know you're making three hundred thousand, but we'll give you two million right now. We know you got all this debt. That three hundred thousand, I'm going to pay all the debt you got. We'll just pay all that off. You just give us your secrets, and we're good. Nobody will have to know about it. It's they're looking for stuff like that, you know. And that's just an example. I don't know anything about anything. What I said, I'm just making up some science fiction. Okay, so for the NSA who's watching me, um, multiple accounts sitting in collections make you susceptible are certifications such as springboard respected enough for entry-level positions in cybersecurity? i don't know what springboard is so off the top of my head i would i would honestly say no i would say no because the ones that are going to help you out are the ones that are marketable and i've not heard of springboard but i could be wrong springboard certification so let me let me just double check. I don't know what that is. Springboard online certification proof of your career. Um, software boot camp. Data science. Does does Springboard have like a, a it's a mentor led online course that guarantees you get, get hired. So is it a program that gets you hired like right after you learn? Example, it's a certification that you you know and recognize it'll be. I'd like to look into them. I've not heard of this. This sounds very interesting, though. I'm, I'm looking at the site right now for the first time. Learn online job guaranteed one on one. That's a book. That's a big uh, offer guaranteeing you a job. 
uh, choose your career and set your career in motion. I'd have to I'd have to look more into this. This looks very interesting, Seth. Very interesting. So you take this course and they guarantee you a job. Guarantee they guarantee you're going to get a job. That's wild. How much is this? What's the prices look like on this? Hmm. Businesses hire for graduates, resources. Dude, this is real. I would recommend this to everybody. This is this this fixes a lot of problems. Maximum total cost. Oh Lord Jesus, this is expensive. Oh my God. This is really expensive. It's like forty thousand dollars. Twenty thousand dollars. Ooh, ouch! But they guarantee you a job. I can't speak on this one, Seth. I can't. I I really can't. I have nothing to say about this, man. I don't know enough about it to be honest with you. I don't. I'd have to know more about this. They guarantee you a job. They have pricing payment options, but it's very very expensive. No, I, I really can't speak on this one. Yeah, but so, it sounds interesting, a little bit inflated on the price. Yeah, man, if I if I find anything else out about it, because this will be very helpful to people who follow me. I, there's so many people who follow me asking me, man, I want to get into IT. I don't know how to do it. I, I don't have experience. Then they'll have a degree or they'll have a certification, but they still can't find a job. It's really a problem. So this right here, something like this would be, I mean, it's pretty expensive, but... If if this right here like literally got you a job, then maybe I mean they have a payment plan. If you got a good enough job, I suppose you could. I don't know. I, I'd have to know more about it. But I'll you know what I'll do. I'm gonna mark this. I'll save it. Maybe maybe it'll come up again, or I'll, I'll read up on it. I would before you invest in this something like this, Seth. What I would do is um look. Look into what people are saying. Like, see, look at people and students who've already gone through this course. Don't, don't, don't get Trump University. You know what I'm saying? I'm not knocking, I'm not knocking your boy, but I mean, don't, don't get Trumped. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Just like look, look into, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, good, good, good. Like, look into it. All right, let me see if I got any other questions. I'm in the Air Force and I want to take classes for cybersecurity. Where should I start? What is your AFSC? Moses. I'm interested in knowing what your AFSC is. While you're gathering your documents, let me tell you what I did. I was in the Air Force for a total of eight years, the first five years of my job of my career in the air force was i was a security guard i was a security forces member and my main job was doing uh security administration work physical security on aircraft and um facilities and things like that and uh i i knew that wasn't something i wanted to do i mean we we learned a little bit about law enforcement i did a little bit of that before i got out but i just knew i didn't want to do that so i cross-trained into 
IT. I cross-trained into, at the time, it was called computer operations. And um, one of the smartest choices I ever made, because that last three years of my enlistment, I was able to gather experience. And when I got out, I was highly sought after and valuable, you know, I could where I could do whatever I wanted in IT. So somebody, somebody said, Army here, 17 Charlie. Is it hard to get a job when you get out? Yeah, so this is just right up my alley. This is what I'm talking about right here. So I was something like a 17 Charlie when I got out. Um, I was computer operator, but I, and somebody said, change your MOS. Exactly. This is where, that's where I'm going with this. So I changed my AFSC, AKA MOS. I changed my job title from, I went to physical security as a security forces member and to a security computer operation. And so I went from three POX1 to three COX1. They don't even have it anymore. It's been dissolved, but it's basically like a 17 Charlie, which is like a cybersecurity guy is what I did. I was computer operator, help desk. I did a little bit of routers and switches and hubs. And then they had me mostly doing um, compliance, cybersecurity compliance stuff. So I got out and I was like a 17 Charlie. Did I have problems getting out? No. Like when you get out with that experience, the experience is really what they're looking for. They're not really looking for certifications. They want to know that you're going to come in. The security, you know, honestly, certifications are like a checkbox in degrees and all that stuff. Like it's a lot of times the organization will have a, they'll, especially if it's a contractor for the government, they'll have, the government has something called um, 8140, which 8140, and it's like a checklist of things that they want. Anybody who has credentialed uh, pri privileged access, they want you to have a certain level of skills. And so that's what 8140 does. 8140 says, yay, verily, everyone who works for you will have a degree. They will have X amount of experience. They will have this or that. So they specifically even say, we want you to have a security plus or a CISSP or a A plus certification. If you do this job, you need to have this. If you have this job, it breaks it all down. So contractors, a lot of times are just checking a box when they say we want somebody with a security plus and we want somebody with a bachelor's degree in whatever. So the thing that they can't, that's not a check. like the thing that they really need is somebody who can do the work. So as a 17 Charlie, as a three COX one, as a person in the military coming out, you a lot of times you have that experience that they're looking for. Were you comsec? Yeah, I did comsec. I hated it. <laughs> a two-person concept crypto keys yeah man I, I was that's what i that's part of my job was doing that kind of stuff so i freaking hated that job i freaking hated it hate but i did it and when i got out it was comsec wasn't valuable but no well i guess it was a little bit because of the knowledge about how knowing crypto keys and how it works and like encryption levels and all that kind of stuff like i knew that i mean because you had to know kind of like in theory what that stuff was so um yeah so yes it's going to help you out quite a bit the only thing is when you go from the military to the civilian world is you gotta translate things into civilian speak because they don't talk like us they don't talk military they don't they don't use a bunch of acronyms nobody knows about you got to get rid of the acronym acronyms and explain like you've got to find the keywords that the marketplace is looking for and then you got to put that stuff on your resume that's that's a big one and that's, that's really lost on some people and i say that over and over and over again 
and I don't know who how many people are listening to me say this, but it's really important. <laughs> it's, it's really, really important. My FSC, F, my AFSC is in pavement and construction. Dirt. Okay. I'm not feeling it. I hear you, man. I, I wasn't feeling cybersecurity. I wasn't feeling um security forces. You know, it was cool. Like I shot all these weapons and I had the beret and had all, you know, it just wasn't me. You know, it just wasn't like, that's not what I want to do in life. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't want to do traffic stops and shit. Like I didn't want to apprehend motherfuckers or whatever. You know, <laughs> it still wasn't what I want to do. So uh, I cross train and, uh, and yeah, cross train is what I would say. Um. Yeah, cross train. If you have the, if you, if you have the, if you have the patience to enlist another, or the opportunity, or the patience to enlist another three years or four years or whatever, then I would say, cross train and change your AFSC to. Uh, I believe they call it. Uh, oh man, what is it called now? Three D, three Delta. I don't remember what it's called. They changed it from three COX one to something else. So three, three C O X one, two, three, uh, Delta computer operating systems, Air Force MOS. Um, I can't remember what they changed it to. Changed to. Oh, 3D transition. Yeah, okay. So it used to be 3 Charlie, and now it's 3 Delta, and they have like different um, versions of it. It's, it's the equivalent of a of a uh, 17 Charlie in the in the army. But yeah, I would cross if you have the capacity to do it, cross train into another field, and then that way before you get out of the military, like you'll do like three, four more years, but you'll be doing it in something you want to do and they'll be preparing you for the outside world and you, when you cross when you get out of the military at some point you will get out of the military one way or another either either you're going to have your enlistment papers or you're going to get out in a box because you're going to be dead so you're going to be out of the military at some point you know what i'm saying so <laughs> just just um yeah so cross train do that for a while while you cross when you actually cross train here's what i did cross train and then I got certifications. I was I wasn't playing around, man. I I had a plan. I got out. I I got I got like four certifications before I got out. Um it wasn't easy. And then I also got a degree. I got two degrees before I got out. I was I was working my ass off. That, that wasn't easy. It took many years for me to do all that stuff. A lot of sacrifice, a lot of time. I mean, it was hard. So I had to make a lot of sacrifices to do what I did, but it's, it paid off. Like it really paid off. And um, another option is before you get out, try to get the experience before you get out as a pavement, you know, civil engineering. And uh, that'll be much harder, but you can get your degree in IT still. I mean, they're going to pay for it, 100% pay for it. Get your certifications, get your degree, get your experience before you get out. And then just when you get out, just apply for jobs. But you're going to have to pay your dues in IT because you're going to have to get that experience anyway when you get out. So if you stay in, 
you're paying your dues while you're still in and they're paying everything. So I would I would cross train like somebody said or change MOS. Just got done with Sans for FOR 500 and I loved it. What is that one? What is that? Is that, is that incident response for 500 cents? I can't remember what that is. Sounds familiar. Forensics. Oh, shit. Yeah. Windows forensics. That's hardcore. What are you? What, what do you do? Forensics. Yeah, forensics is, is fire, man. Forensics, that's... That's real deal. That's in, that incident response stuff is going to take you. That's that's really valuable on the outside. Seventeen Charlie, yeah, yeah. That's that's very very valuable on the outside. Army, yeah. It's it's super valuable on the outside, man. That's so, it's it's super valuable. And there's so many different paths you can take with forensics and incident response. Incident response is in every is in most parts of cybersecurity. It it's got its hands. In, in so many different parts of cybersecurity. Like if you want to do compliance, which is what I do, compliance ties right into disaster recovery and business continuity and, and um, incident, uh, all kind of incident response stuff, uh, policies and things like that. And if you were trying to do a cyber threat intelligence, I mean, a lot of the stuff that you're doing lends it to forensic stuff, all ties into uh, cyber threat intelligence and, and, uh, mitigating risks for uh, cutting mitigating the risk from the threats that are gonna uh that are gonna mess up your 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 systems it, it's there's so many things that you're tied into <clears throat> doing what you're doing so that's that's a really good path and it pays really really well too i mean and it's in every industry it's in it's in retail it's in financial sector it's in it's in government it's in uh, criminal justice is really big on that one. The three-letter agencies, they have a need for it all the time. It is everywhere. Yeah, talking about it is, is tough for me. <laughs> How would you be? Okay. How did you become such a good speaker, uh, like putting everything together? I know the the technical, but um, it's, it was it's baptism by fire, man. Um, it this is not something that that comes naturally to me. I, I'm I'm a introvert, like a I'm an extreme introvert. I've got bad PTSD, man. I, I'm, but what happened was when I was in the military. My first experience with speaking, I was in, um, I was a cyber, I was a uh, security forces guy, and what they would do to us is they would have us. You had to memorize this rote memory uh, post briefing, is what we called it, where you had to tell them, "I have this weapon. Here's my name. I'm on this post," and you just had this whole spiel you had to give them. And so it was one of the first things they taught us, aside from shooting a gun, is, is uh, this post-briefing. And it's supposed to be like your first introduction to public speaking. And it was like, you'd say, uh, Airman Bruce Brown reposted. Uh, I can't, let me see if I can remember it. Airman, Bo Airman Bruce Brown reports as, as ordered. 
I've um on post one um I have a light lightweight magazine fed shoulder fired hip fired weapon I can't, I can't remember I can't I don't know I don't know but anyway let me get back to my story so <laughs> what so what they would have us do to to practice this because you'd have generals or colonels come in and you'd have to just spit out this whole post briefing right and uh what they would have us do is stand in front of our all of our peers we'd go into this auditorium and then you'd be on the stage and then you would have to say your whole post briefing and me i over prepared i just kept studying it over until it was just like i just had it and i got on the stage and i froze and security forces is not like regular air force it's like it's like the regular military it's like it's like the marines or the army they 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 will they they eat their young, they crush the weak. <laughs> and so they laughed me off the face of the earth. And I wanted to cry. I was like 18. I was like 19 years old or something. That was my first experience with, with public speaking. And uh, baptism by fire. And um, I was like, I will never, I do not ever want to do public speaking again. But what happened was, in the military, I had to because they just push you to keep doing it over and over again and over and over again. I just failed and failed and failed until I until it was just like, OK, I'll do what I got to do. When I got out of the military. Um, I I kept having it. I was put in positions where I had to articulate what's going on. And so. One of the skills that you learn doing cybersecurity stuff, which it sounds like you do, is you have to translate the technical um, to somebody who's management, who doesn't know the technical side. So you got to explain like in layman's terms what's going on in a way that they understand the impact of what's happening. And then you, you have to go to the technical people and talk on stuff that you might not be well versed on. Like you might know Windows forensics analysis, but you maybe you don't. You're not too keen on packet analysis or whatever right so now you got to get smart on that enough to art to articulate to this technical person a technical team what's going on so that they understand the impact of that so doing cybersecurity policy stuff doing cybersecurity compliance i've had to go back and forth between talking to the technical people and then going and translating that to the management people and then going and talking to c-level exec and then talking to the customer it's like you're talking four different languages and so I just did that over and over and over again. And what I what I learned what you learn is if you talk to the technical people like you're talking to a manager, they're not going to understand what the hell you're talking about. Because technical people, you got to be very specific, very very specific. But if you're talking to managers, they don't care about specifics. I need to know the big picture. Like, tell me what's going on. Where do I need to send my resources? Are we done? Where's what's going on? Like. We got a, we're on a budget here. We we got time. We we don't have a lot of time for this. Are we gonna hit our mark or not? And then talking to C level execs, they don't necessarily want to go into weeds unless they ask you specifically. What I learned from them is that you you don't want to expose certain like you want to answer what they ask you. You don't want to go on these tangents because they'll keep asking. What they like to do is pull the string. Like if you give them a little bit, they'll just keep pulling and pulling and pulling. And pretty soon you're off on you're not even talking about the original topic. You're talking about some other shit that's nothing to do with what you guys are supposed to be talking about. Because the C-level execs 
Um, they need to just see the big picture wrapped up in a bow, you know. So anyway, what I'm trying to say is it, doing compliance has has made it so I had to talk. I have to learn to talk to technical people. No, you got to know your audience, essentially knowing your audience. And and this whole thing, what I'm doing here is is very different talking to um talking on lives as opposed to creating content like it's it's a whole different it's the the audiences on tiktok respond different than the audiences on on youtube and the and the audiences on youtube are different from each audience is different so and that's how it is in in cyber in cybersecurity too is like whenever you talk to different people it's know your audience number one and then speak to that audience and and don't talk down to them try to get you got to speak at their level like speak their language at their level and then they'll understand one of the things i know this might make people mad and i'm neither for nor against this person and i am not political at all i don't care but listen one of the really good things about donald trump that was dope was that he like people say he's a bad speaker but that fucking guy knows how to speak to his audience. And that's why they listen to him because he's speaking to them and they hear him. They're like, oh, yes. You know, so when you know how to speak to your audience, like people respond to it because they can hear, they understand what you're saying. And that was one thing that's really good about him. Like he really knows how to speak to his audience, you know. I would argue that once he got into the office, he was he ignored the entire audience, which was the 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 American people. But that's a whole different topic. <laughs> um, let me see. I got some other things here. I'm going to be ending this here real soon, but let me see if I can answer. Talk to a few more people here. I would love to move to a con for I would love. I would not move for a contractor job. 85% of my job, the job will or would not work. Okay. Do not move as a contractor. I mean, I would say, I would say it depends on your, your circumstance. I've moved as a contractor. Um, I've had to, especially in the beginning of my career, I've moved a couple times for my for a job as a contractor. Um So I think he's saying that sometimes the job just disappears as a contractor. And that's true. But uh, what I did was like I went from California to Colorado. And what I found was that there was more. First of all, the cost of living was different. And so I was moving when I was moving, I wasn't moving just for a job. I was moving for opportunities because there were more opportunities and less. There's a better cost of living in Colorado. So all of that was in my mind when I was moving. And then when I went to, when I moved to another country, I moved to another country for a while, for about a year. And um, I was trying to move careers. Like my, my mindset wasn't just one thing. I wasn't just like moving there just for that job. It was, it was to open up more doors for what I needed to do. And plus I, I had all this debt. I was trying to eliminate debt. It was this huge move I was trying to make. So it wasn't just one thing I was doing. Like it was, it was, it was a strategic move. So I will agree with you, Mike, on that the aspect is that if you do move, you do decide to make a, a move or relocate to another state or whatever, make it, make it a strategic move where you have a backup plan. 
you know, like have a backup plan. And I did. I had a backup plan. I have, it was it was a strategic move. Every time I've moved to another place, it I already had a backup plan. If that if that job let me go, I had a backup plan. I knew that there was other jobs there that would that would take me. And that's exactly what happened. I went to that job. I moved to that state. I was working for Northrop Grumman and this contract. Um, they didn't let me go. I left. But there were all these other opportunities around. Let me see. Um, Jermaine B says, can we put a fake name on a resume to protect our privacy as well? Um, what feeling, uh, what about filling out applications? Okay. Is using your real name? Um, should you use your real name on a, on a resume? Um, also the resume auto filled for me online. Do, can you edit it later? Um, so what I do is I I'm very paranoid because I've been doing this online stuff for quite some time and I've had some bad experiences. I do not use my real name on the internet. I do not use my real name on, um, sometimes I won't even use my real name on resumes. So what I'll do is I'll use some alternate, like a nickname. I'll use like my middle name or something like that. And, um, I, I just do this because I'm paranoid and I've just had some bad experiences with online stuff that I'm like, it just made me think like this could be way worse than it is. So, so I, that's why I was thinking like, damn, you know, I really shouldn't use my real name on the internet because just a couple things happened. I've had some, some local fame before and it didn't go like I thought it was going to go. And then people knew who I was. And I was like, I got kids, man. People could show up right at my house. And if, if you're wondering why I would use a fake name on the internet, do me a favor right now. If you do yourself a favor, go to Google right now. If you have your phone in front of you, Go to Google and type in your full name and your state. See what you find. Then you tell me if I'm crazy. So I saw that as a cybersecurity guy. I was like, nah, I'm not putting my real name out there. Your real name is out there whether you like it or not. But whether or not it's tied to who you really are and where you actually work and your phone number, it's a whole different thing. It's out there. Go to, go to Google, type in your, your real name and the state you live in and see what you find. You're going to be shocked. It's because the U.S., the U.S. in particular, doesn't have a protection for us, for people, for humans. You know, unfortunately, it's it's really bad. I don't know what's going to take to wake us up, but we are sitting ducks. So I do not. So what I'll do. OK, here's what I do for my resume. So I'll put like my middle name and like a different last name. I'll put it out there and then I'll. um I'll have a different phone number too. I'll have a phone number from um, Google has this thing called the uh, Google phone, Google voice. Is that what it is? Google voice, Google voice. And it gives you uh, an IP address. I think you have to download the app to get it now. I don't know. They've changed, kind of changed it up a little bit or I'll use it. I have another phone. I have an actual different phone with a number that I have for my business and I'll put my business number on there. That's another thing I do. And I don't put my real address as well. I don't put my real name. I don't put my real phone number or I'll put an alternate phone number and I'll put, um, I don't put my address. Right. And I'll put like a throwaway I'm just paranoid. And so um, when they contact me, 
when I'm talking to the screener, um, I'm very apprehensive. I'm like, I don't know this guy. I'm 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 interviewing them as much as they're interviewing me. They won't, they might not know my real name until I actually talk to a manager. This is real. This happens. And then they'll then what happens when I talk to the manager? They're like, so it says your name is X here. So what's your name? Like, well, I'll say, oh, yeah. And then I explain to them and they're like, they got it. Like, okay. They don't even, they don't like, well, are you faking your name? Like, no, nah, this is my real name. Here's my, here's my driver's license. Here's, you know, once we get to that point, now I'm telling them personal information about myself. Cause I'm, cause now I'm like, okay, I could probably get this job. Now I feel safe enough to where I'll give you my information. And here's my real name. Here's my, and they'll say, well, what about this name here? And they'll say, yeah, it's my middle name. Like, oh, okay, okay. Well, what what do you want me? Normally, what they'll ask me is not like, well, why are you doing this? They'll say, well, what do you want me to call you? That's what normally what they ask me. And I'll tell them my real name. My real, yeah, here's my real name. Here's what you call me. And they'll say, okay, that's it. So I don't use my real name. Um, the reason why is because I just had some bad experiences with it. And just, it just made me think. Like, wait a minute, hold up, hold up. You know. <laughs> All right, let me see. TikTok. Sadiq, how you doing? He says, How Bruce, hey Bruce, how is Yuri? Um, she's doing good. She's doing really good. She's she got her own business. She's doing really well. She's very happy. I don't know if you knew this, but we got a divorce. <laughs> We're both doing good though. We we've both moved on. We're both doing really great. She's doing good stuff. I'm doing good stuff. Um, let me see. Bit off topic. Would you suggest? Um, bit off topic. Topic. Would you suggest or be okay with the real estate to get a real estate coach? I'm in IT, but I need a backup plan. I don't know enough about real estate to uh, be anybody's coach. I'm learning myself, Michael. Like I'm, I'm learning myself. I'm. It's starting to go well, but I'm not quite there yet. You know, like normally the stuff I talk about is stuff I really. I'm already doing it. Like I'm. I, the reason why I talk about IT stuff is because I really. I've been working. Guys, listen. I've been working. I've been making six figures for since 2011. Um, and I know some people on the East Coast are like six figures. That's not like that's a lot of money for most people. I don't know if you guys know, but that's a lot of money for most for most um, people on planet Earth. Six figures USD is a lot of money. It's a lot of money. All right. Um, I've been working remotely for seven years now. I've been doing this and I'm doing cybersecurity stuff. I talk about stuff that I'm really doing. I'm really, I really do this. I'm and I'm working from home. You know, it's I really traveled at some of my other jobs. I was really traveling and working. It was, it was amazing. And even now, this job, I'm about to go somewhere. I can't take my laptop with me, so I'm gonna have to take leave without pay or some shit. But I'm about to, you know, I, my life is it's been pretty good, I have to say. I'm blessed. Um, and I have to say that I, I'm trying to show other people how I've been able to do it. You can do it too. If I can do it, listen, I come from very humble beginnings. I got I came from nothing. I have no 
Nobody gave me land. Nobody gave me. I don't have 40 acres and a mule. I never. My family only recently start owning property. Only recently. And they're my mom's in her 60s. Um, only recently start owning property. Like. I ha I started off with nothing. We were. I mean, I don't know what to say. Like, I really started with nothing. So. If I can do this, I'm a high school dropout, guys. Like, I had a hard life. It's just been difficult. And, I mean, it's, it's not like I'm a, I don't have a Bugatti. I'm not, I don't have, you know what I mean? <laughs> but I'm I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. And I'm just trying to tell people, listen, if I can do this, you can do it too. You know? And it's, it's not a bad living. You know, it's, it's not bad. I got to say, I'm able to take care of my kids. I'm able to do all right. I'm able to do things like real estate investment. I'm able to start a website, write books, make money off of that. I'm able to do all this other stuff. And it's afforded me uh, the ability every now and then to go after my dreams and do great things. I got a divorce, man. It it I've been divorced twice. I'm I'm still doing all right. It's It's kind of crazy. You know, like that destroys some people like I'm good. I'm good. Um, you know, could things have been better? Yeah, sure. So I, I only talk about stuff I do. Um, it, it, at some point, if I get to a point where I'm I've got a bunch of properties and I'm like living off of it. Or something like that, then I feel comfortable talking about real estate. Um, yeah, I'll talk, I'll talk about it once I get to that level. But right now I, I, it, I'm doing a bunch of risky stuff. Like I don't feel comfortable talking about it. Like, I don't, I don't know how this is going to pan out. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, it's going all right, but there's a lot of debt that I had to amass to get that real estate property. So I don't know, like it's, it, it I'm not saying it's it's going. I got like a couple Airbnbs and stuff. Like it's it's not bad. I got some rentals, but we're not there. We're not there yet. Maybe one day I'll feel comfortable enough to like really talk about it to where I could teach people. But I'm I'm still learning myself, so I don't know. Bruce, I appreciate your time helping people. I'm going to still pick up your pick your brain. Yeah, not a problem, man. Any any questions you have, this is the time to ask me. Let me see. Somebody said, "Congrats, my guy." On staying one toes down, ten toes down. Um, what's the market looking like for front end development? Front end development. You mean like website design? Is that what you mean, Samuel? I'm not up on uh, I'm not up on this um developer speak. I'm not a developer, my man. Yes. Oh, for front end design. Um, I. It seems like people who do this on their own for their own websites are doing all right. But people from other countries are 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 killing it on like on a on a Fiverr. Like they'll go on Fiverr or Upwork. I know because I pay some of these guys to help me to develop sites and stuff. And then in their countries, they have a lower cost of living. So like if you're from the Philippines or you come from India or you're from somewhere where the, there's a lower cost of living in you know, Thailand, you, there's a low, it's just a lower cost of living there. And you can get somebody to get you to pay you uh, 200, 300, 400 dollars to design or a thousand dollars to design a website or do some front end development for you. That's a 
that's a good gig. But in the U.S., you're competing against those guys. So I don't see – I think it's – I would imagine it's very competitive. I don't know. I'm not a developer, but I would imagine – because. and the reason I say that is because me as a consumer of these services, I'm going to go off to the person who's the best and the cheapest. And I, some Americans and people from the UK and EU are charging like 10 times – what I can get from a dude from from India who's going to charge way less and, and do about the same amount of work, same level of work. So front end developers, I don't I don't know I'm I don't know that market, so I really can't speak on on uh, develop developers work. Um, I can tell you um, in the in the industry I'm industries I'm working in, they're looking for more like a program developer type DevOps people who are developing like not necessarily weapon systems, but like a business internal business systems. And they're looking for people who, who know anything from Java to a lot of scripting languages normally is what they want. Some like go and, and uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm like truly showing my ignorance here, but I'm just telling you what I have seen. But let me see. Jarrell says, what's the best route to take to start in cybersecurity for someone who is tech savvy and building a couple of PCs? Hmm. Have you considered doing cloud? Have you considered doing a little bit of cloud? Because there's a couple of different directions you want to go. It's so I'm I'm tech savvy, and I really want to do cybersecurity. What and I've built a couple computers. What I would do. What I probably do is get a security plus. And I would try to get my foot in the door at a, at uh, at some company. I try to get a field tech one help desk job. I really want to get myself a role. Like I want to be able to put. On my resume that I was I was had a role or did some kind of major project for either some organization, whether it's a university, uh, a community college, a local church, even if you did it for free, like you want to get something. Do you want to show that you had some skin in the game? Meaning, like an organization trusted you to develop their network infrastructure and that could be for free or whatever but you want to get that on your resume so if, what i would do is i get a security plus reason why is because it's a highly marketable certification and people are going to notice that another thing i would do is try to get experience i would go out of my way to get experience i'm only telling you stuff i did myself so what i did was i was willing to move to another state take less pay and travel my ass off and I did that for upwards of a year, a year and a half, maybe a year and a half. I can't remember how long I did that for. But I went super hardcore. And that got my foot in the door to do more technical stuff. And um, while you're doing that, while you're getting your foot in the door, and you can do this locally. You don't even have to move out of state. There are some jobs local like field tech one and help desk and um, computer support, customer support type jobs. Once you get your foot in the door, what you want to do is on your resume, you want to highlight all the security stuff that you've done. This is where a lot of IT people go wrong is that 
if you've done any level of IT, more than likely you've done some sort of GRC, you've done some sort of cybersecurity work, but they don't put that on their resume, right? So you may not know this, but if you created accounts as a help desk person or as a customer support person, you've actually contributed to something called um, account management, um, access controls. All of that stuff has to be considered whenever you're making accounts. That's all cybersecurity stuff that you want to put on your resume. Cybersecurity is not just hacking. It's not just code. It's not just that's a whole nother side of it. It's it's it protecting the infrastructure as a whole. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes into that. So if I were you, what I would do, and I'm a tech savvy dude, um, I build my own computers, I get a security plus, and I start trying to get my foot in the door with a cyber with any kind of help desk IT type role. And I do that for at least six months, preferably a year. And then I'll put that on my resume. I'll be building out my resume, highlighting all the cybersecurity stuff I did. Now, from there, you can either level up inside the company and start doing something specialized like cybersecurity, or you can get into the network department or in the server department or cloud or whatever in that company. But if not, go to you want to make another change to another company and then that's when you start leveling up when you go to that when you start shifting to another company and shifting to another or making lateral changes within the organization that's when you start leveling up and they even pay you more every at every level you go to um i hope to do grc consulting or eventually become a CISO or an IT director, master's in computer science or IT management. Um, getting a master's degree in any one of those is, is actually pretty good. Um, I, I don't know that companies usually have a preference. You know, um, normally they're looking for experience, like what you wanna start doing, Craven, is is uh i don't know what your background is is but uh the management anytime you get offers for supervisory or management type positions or an opportunity to lead within with it, whether you guys are doing a project or something in your organization that kind of stuff it it really helps you to sharpen your skills as a manager and um that's the kind of stuff that they're looking for whenever you start leveling up because so an IT director or a CISO, if if you look at their resume, if you go on LinkedIn right now and look at a, a look at the resume of a, of a CISO or an IT director, what you'll notice is nine times out of ten, a lot of experience, like a crazy amount of experience. Like my my boy, um, my, I, hopefully one day I can I can um, interview him. This dude was a mentor of mine. Brilliant, brilliant dude. And I don't want to I don't want to say his name or anything, but um, this dude, I, I really look up to him from a technical aspect. I mean, he's out of brilliant mind. And um, this man could totally be an IT director like he could totally he, he's got probably 20, 18 years of experience. And he's very, very, very smart at IT. Like he just he just he, it's, it's in his DNA. And this guy, that's what it takes to be an IT director. It just takes a lot of experience and it takes time, you know, and if you happen to be in IT already, well, congratulations. Number one, you have a master's degree. That's awesome. Now you, what you want to start doing is polishing up your 
your actual management experience. If you ever get an opportunity to lead a, a project, and you will, if you're in IT, if you're a help desk person, if you're in, if you're doing whatever it is, database stuff, when your organization, whatever happens to be, program management is a really good one to be doing. Po- policy stuff is really, really good to be doing because it lends itself to to doing that kind of management type IT director stuff because you're getting exposure to the protection of the whole organization if you happen to be a program manager if you happen to be a project manager if you happen to be a um a, pol- a, a GRC type person you get exposure to like what's really going on as opposed to your firewall guru who knows Palo Alto and that's all they know and they know firewall rules and they're the go-to genius that knows all the firewall rules that guy is like this like they're really smart but they're like you know they're not seeing the big picture typically of what you what you're seeing as a grc type person like what you're seeing is all the vulnerabilities how many vulnerabilities that we have how how are we going to fix this how are we going to prioritize it you know oh we've got some that's been there for a year oh that's that's great how are we going to fix that like big big problems you guys have to. So as much as you can start polishing, start volunteering to lead uh, difference. Like when they say, OK, we need somebody to help with this project we've got going on. Be the first one to raise your hand. Like, I got it. Take it really for your experience. And so you can put that on your resume as led a team to do X, Y and Z. You know, you want to put that kind of stuff on your resume so that when as you're building up to your CISO in your director position, you know, you'll be able to point back and say, yeah, I, I led this team. I managed, I was a supervisor here and there because, you know, IT directors and CISOs, they're, they're such a macro scale. They're not really in the weeds on things, right? So as you start to level up, you're just not, you're not seeing the technical aspect. You're seeing it less and less and less. And for me, the fun part about IT has been being in the weeds. I know that sounds crazy, but I like I like the I like that stuff. And I just noticed that every time I get closer and closer to the management side, I see less and less. And I'm doing things like I'm managing other people to who get to have fun with the new toys. I'm not touching Splunk anymore. I'm talking to the guy who going to do Splunk. He's that guy's going to get to do Splunk. You know, for me, that's take the whole fun out of it personally. That's why I've been avoiding it for a long time. <laughs> I'm looking ahead, but would would you ever recommend doing a PhD or any in in IT or just getting an MBA or MSIT? Um, I would say this is my personal opinion about a PhD and you know, take it for what it's worth and um this is my personal opinion about it. If you're doing a PhD, it's mostly for doing some research into some specialized project or engineering or something you maybe you have um, some kind of thesis on something you want to some new form of firewall or some new form of you know you're trying to do brown great breaking research into something that's gonna change the face of technology, you know. Um, in my mind, that's your PhDs. Another one that requires PhDs, there, there are some jobs that requires it, um, not requires it, but they look for it, is, is teaching. Like professors, a lot of times, they're wanting you to have either a master's or a PhD. Um, so if you're teaching at a prestigious college, that's another that's one. 
if you are scientists, like there's computer scientists and cybersecurity scientists, if you're doing that kind of work, like groundbreaking new stuff, then yes, um, stuff like that. Like if you're doing inform uh, artificial intelligence or something, you probably want to go that route. In the workforce, um, to be a manager, you don't need a PhD. Um, you need a, master, a master's degree. Once you get to PhD status, there's like diminishing returns. You know what I mean? Like, what I mean to say is the impact is greatest at the master's degree level if you're trying to be a manager. But once you get a PhD, I don't haven't had many bosses that had a PhD. Um, I've met founders of companies that had a PhD. Um, I I haven't had many man how many my bosses did normally have a PhD. So, and I've been doing this a long time, and I've been at probably ten different organizations. And I'm telling you, I worked at NASA. There was a lot of PhDs there, and I'm trying to think how many of my bosses at NASA had PhDs. There was a couple. Now I think about it. Yeah, some of the directors at NASA had PhDs. Yeah. Um, and there were scientists, and they weren't in IT, by the way. They were in, like, astrophysics or some shit. <laughs> so I don't, none of my bosses have had... My direct bosses, like my manager over me or even their manager over them, didn't have a normally didn't have a PhD. So I would say master's degree would be that's just my two cents. You know, I'm not telling you don't get a if you want to get a PhD, by all means, go go for it. Um, okay, guys, I've been talking for about two hours, and I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna kill this thing. I'm I think I'm gonna I think I'm done. But thank you guys so much. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate all the questions. Um, thank you for the likes. Thank you for the flowers. Thank you for um, for everything. The questions are really great. I mean, all my comments come from that. If you guys didn't know, I have a whole bunch of books that are out there um, uh, that you can learn things about NIST 800, where I'm breaking down practical terms for you. It's on link in description, link in bio. And then I've got... Um, all kinds of stuff. And I'm, I'm noticing some more questions coming in, but I've been talking for like two hours. What's your take on doing boot camps to break? Okay, this is my last question. <sighs> okay. Um, what is your take on doing boot camps to break into the industry? We were just talking about this earlier. Somebody brought up something called Springboard. Springboard has boot camps and it walks you through how to get the certifications, teaches you everything. And, um, it's like $40,000, $20,000, and they guarantee you a job. To be honest with you, just like I told the other person who brought it up, I would have to know more about that actual course. And um, they guarantee you a job, which is for me, I'm like, I don't know, like guaranteeing somebody a job unless they are like have a link up with Cisco and they're saying, look, we will hire somebody who gets X certification, which I've heard of. But that's for like CCIEs, which is CCIE is an advanced uh, certification in Cisco. And that's usually you have to have years and years of experience even to get that CCIE is a hard certification. So I'm not saying it's impossible, but I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical. Um, I would say for the average person who's trying to go do a boot camp and you're going to drop eight, nine, ten thousand dollars on a boot camp. 
it's probably better, and maybe this is not a popular opinion, and maybe I don't know what the hell I'm talking about, but it might be better for you to go get a degree. Because if you're going to spend that kind of money, um, a degree, you're you're going to spend time learning it. While you're learning it, you're getting, you're building out a network. You're th- When you get a degree, it's not just about that paper. It's not just, you're, there's more to it, okay? You, you're putting in the work that it takes to do that. You're, um, you're meeting people in the class. You're, you already have a BS degree, but in cybersecurity um, seems intriguing. Okay, so a, B, a BS and BA in what? Because I'll tell you this. If you have what what organizations are looking for is a they're looking for usually a bachelor's degree or an associate's degree in STEM. So that's science, technology, engineering, mathematics, one of those. And in addition to that, they're looking for experience. Realistically, that's what they're looking for. You said calm and psychology. All right. So. I would say. And this, like I said, it's just my two cents. But what you could do is, if you're willing, is to take your bachelor's degrees and try to take the credits from that and go into a, a, a degree in um, in IT, information technology. That's what I would say. That's it. That's just my two cents about boot camps. I don't. What I would do if I were you, Michael. What I would do is look for other people who've gone through the course you're about to go to. I'm not telling you no. I'm not. I don't want to. I don't want to kill your your opportunity if there is one there. But what you could do for your own research is whatever course you're thinking about doing before you do it. Just like I told the other dude, go on Google, go on YouTube, the two top search engines in the world, and look for people who have gone through that boot camp. To see what they say, see how effective they are. Look at their testimony. Don't look at the one on the website, because you know those are all going to be good. What you look, I don't want you to be like I told the other dude. I don't want you to get trumped, Trump University, if you know what I'm saying, because that's what happened to a lot of Trump University people, is that they were like, oh Trump, you know, I'm gonna get to meet him and I'm gonna get this degree, I'm gonna get the certification, and it turned out to be a scam, right? They paid a bunch of money. They didn't get to meet their mentor. They didn't get to, you know what I mean? It wasn't an accredited college. I don't know if it was a accredited college. I'm not sure. But they got, some of them got their money back. But um, just look, I'm not saying it's a scam. Whatever you're trying to do, what I would say is do your research. Look for people who've gone through that course and see what they say. Don't just look for the positive stuff. Look for the good and the bad and the ugly. And you can find that on Glass. You might be able to find it on Glassdoor, Glassdoor.com. Look for that one um, for the people who work there and the people who've gone through the courses. And then look for YouTube, like look for YouTube videos, like the ones that have bad lighting and bad audio. And, and they're just talking, venting like, man, I went to this boot camp and X, Y and Z. Or, man, I went to it. I, I highly recommend it. It was dope. It was good. Here's what I learned. I'm already working at this job here. You want those like real grimy, real uh, comments from people who actually went through the course who are not just uh, – they're not just uh, performing. They're not just selling a product. They're not just getting you to click their link. 
They're not just shilling for this organization. Real people who felt compelled to tell you and others about this organization. That's what I would do. Do your research first. I'm not saying don't go to a boot camp. But if it, but what I would reckon, but what I would do, <laughs> I haven't gone to some boot camps myself. You know, I've been in this game for a while. Uh, maybe boot camps are different now. It's been a while. But I would say go to go to school. Like yeah, college is that degree is gonna go a long way. The IT degree, it goes a long way. And and the people that you meet along the way in the class and seeing the directions that those other students go and the Gaining the mindset of an IT professional over time, those things mean something. And um, it's, yeah, you know, it's going to check a box. It's a piece of paper, but also it's the the people that you meet along the way and knowing whether or not you want to do this, like taking the time to say, okay, well, this is what I want to do. However, I want to do, I don't want to do cybersecurity. I want to do programming i want to do like there's so many different aspects of this it's, it's a huge field so that's it guys thank you so much i appreciate everybody who watched um i will try to do this tomorrow i say that every week but i really do try to do it it's just i got so much stuff to go on i got so many books to write thank you guys so much thank you for the hearts thank you for the love thank you for the flowers and everything i got to get the hell out of here thank you for watching